Hey everybody, this is Notes from the Jungle. I'm Spencer Gaben. On this podcast, I speak with Joshua Hughes, who is the founder and leader of Verde Energia, a permaculture-based community out in the Costa Rican jungle. This is the second podcast I've done with Josh. The first one uh, was really a bio uh, of Josh and kind of his, his backstory, the story of Verde Energia. Um, so if you're interested in hearing that before this one, you can find that in the show notes. Uh, on this podcast, um, Josh and I do talk a lot about politics, just uh, putting that out there right away as maybe a, a warning for people. But we also do get into some other, uh, you know, not so political topics like how we build community without religion. Josh and I are both uh, avowed atheists, but we also want to live in thriving communities. And we just have a little discussion about how we could, some ideas we have about how we could um, achieve that without without having the church or uh, something like that in place. If you are listening to this close to Trump's inauguration, you probably, uh, you know, might be a little bit sick about hearing uh, hearing about politics. Uh, but you know, I really tried to make this um, come at come at things from a different angle and not just the typical uh, political conversation that's probably you know clogging your newsfeed right now or really probably all of your newsfeed right now. Josh's uh, unique situation forces him to cooperate with lots of different people. So he really, for those that don't know him, uh, he lives really way out in the middle of the jungle on a, you know, a bumpy, muddy dirt road that often goes out. You know, power goes out all the time. And because of his situation, um, it kind of forces him to cooperate with lots of different people people he often disagrees with, people who have radically different assumptions about the world. Um, he lives in an area that's you know, predominantly Catholic. Because of his situation, he really, by necessity, has to cooperate with people. And I think, you know, in a world now where it's, you know, hyper-polarized, we all kind of retreat to our various echo chambers, our, you know, um, our Facebook news feeds with only opinions that we agree with. You know, I think he's an interesting voice just because he he can't really retreat to that world and he has to kind of uh, find ways to cooperate with people that he uh, doesn't necessarily agree with. So I really think that's what's, um, you know, valuable and kind of unique about this conversation. You know, there's pl- plenty of political commentary out there. And, you know, of course, we, we get into a little bit of that. But I, I think that's the, the angle that makes this worth listening to. So just a couple of notes here before we get into things. There's a couple of, of stats that Josh cites that I don't think are entirely accurate or don't quite, that could be misleading to people if, if they view it a certain way. You know, they don't really undermine the thrust of his point, but I um, I just, you know, in this post-fact world that we live in now, I do really want to make sure that we get our facts as close to perfectly correct as we can. There's uh, Those are also in the show notes. They're kind of about, you know, how many people voted for Trump and Josh talks about a statistic that um, six out of seven or seven out of eight people didn't vote for Trump. You know, that doesn't quite quite head up, according to my math. Uh, If you just talk about the eligible voting population, 27 percent of the eligible voting population did vote for Trump. He also says that uh, most Americans didn't vote. Well, in this election, 40 percent of the voter eligible population didn't vote. So it's not quite right. I mean, a lot of people didn't vote, but most people that could vote did. Mentioned Obama raising military spending by two trillion dollars. I did find an article about a $619 billion bill, but I don't see the $2 trillion raise anywhere. Um, If he finds a link to that, I'll be happy to provide that in the show notes. Finally, he talks about half the federal budget going to war, um, but this is only if you're referring to discretionary spending. Maybe I'm being a little bit uh, nitpicky here, but I just want to get the truth. 
which uh, you know is going to be more important now than than ever. Okay, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, so here we are in uh, January of 2017. Mr. Donald Trump is about to be inaugurated uh, as president in uh, just a couple weeks. Um, and I'm at Verdenergia in Costa Rica, out in the jungle, once again, uh, hiding out in uh, the Smurf ship with Joshua Hughes, which uh, is about the only quiet place right now on the farm. There's a lot of construction going on. There's uh, some babies crying and stuff, so we kind of tucked ourselves away here <laughs> in an igloo yeah, sort of shaped uh, building, and uh, thought we'd talk a little talk a little politics. Um, you know, it does seem uh, a lot of people, including myself, were kind of thinking, well, maybe we should uh, move out to the Costa Rican jungle after the election. That doesn't actually seem like that such a bad idea. Um, so thought we'd uh, chime in and talk a little bit about that. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, when people maybe see what Josh has done and built this community, they might think, well, doesn't does that mean he wants me to come live out there full time and never, and kind of just like build mud huts and, um, but that's not what you think, uh, right, Josh? Uh, not for everybody. I uh, the world needs a, a lot of people doing a lot of different jobs, and society needs uh, farmers, and it needs people that are willing to live out and do the forestry work, but it also needs people that are willing to be dentists and doctors and lawyers and politicians and Navy SEALs and policemen and judges and everything, so, and students and artists. So this, this community here that we've been working on has been kind of an experiment in how to mix, with cult, mix cultures together um, and try and come up with simple, duplicatable solutions to some of the bigger problems. Uh, so Veridinahia has been a place for us to practice, but it's, uh, it's been a an amalgamation of a lot of different people from around the world. We've had about 4,000 different people here, of which maybe 20 or 30 of them live here each year. So we're not, uh, I don't want the whole world to move to the, the, the countryside, but, but I do want people to be in touch with what it means to have wild spaces and organic farms and how to experiment and play with what, how we can create what we need, our resources, our, our consumable items, our foods, our medicines, how to do those things in a way that actually makes sense and doesn't cause harm or even regenerates and uh, remediates some of the harm we've done. So Verde is an experimental place for us to do this. It's a cooperative that uh, allows a big group of us to, in a sense, kind of pay our taxes to the world and then have ambassadors that are willing to live here, like myself and others over the years that will uh, reforest and, and do what it takes on the, the front line of the the destruction of places like Costa Rica, the rainforest, and try and stop or reverse those trends. So our, our crew, our people, our group of a couple thousand friends and family and a hundred or so owners of three different projects here in this valley are protecting land and regenerating and helping set examples for others. And then people go back to the big world and uh, go back to their jobs and figure out a way to, or many do, kind of use this experience as a springboard into bringing these ideals, the permaculture ideals, or just regenerative ideals into whatever they do in life. So I think people need to live everywhere. We need to do it, and we need to be better everywhere, all at once, right now. So 
you know, that's, that's what I, it was my path because I, I needed some time uh, out on the front learning how to do these things. I didn't, I didn't know what was possible, so moving here taught me a lot over the last 10 years. And, and then integrating what I've, my business background with what nature has to offer and learning that and integrating it, I think we've, we've come up with approaches that are easily duplicatable in all different forms of business or, or, uh, or transactions with other humans or nature, wherever we live. So I th okay, so I thought one interesting angle that we could take on this is that uh, there's, you know, probably more, um, arguably mo the most like divergence on issues that, that people, um, I think people might think that now we're as polarized as we'll, as we've ever been, perhaps, or that people are making, making that argument, um, you know, your time out at Verde has put you in touch with people probably, you know, from the very far left that are basically communists all the way to the very far right that, you know, um, I guess believe in a form of, of anarchy. Um, but because of how remote Verde is and because of, well, because of your beliefs as well, uh, you know, you've created relationships with neighbors that are not um, lockstep with you politically, to say the least. Mm -hmm. so, so if you could just talk a little bit about what are some ways that we can create dialogue on these things uh, so that um, it doesn't, we're not just, you know, talking to only people we agree with, we can get some conversation going, even with that, uh, that crazy uncle at Thanksgiving that we can never seem to get anywhere with. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been living in a small community. We're an hour and a half out of a town with about 15,000 people in it. So we're on, on the road we're on, 15 kilometers from the main road, we uh, have maybe 100 people total, 150 people total. It's a very Catholic community and very uh, conservative culture in general, or at least that's the way it appears on the outside. And right from the beginning, we came in here, a lot of us seeming like, seeming to be hippies. I mean, not, not really, but it, it's you know, very socially conscious, anti-war and or, frankly, quite a few anarchists too, anarchist types that really want to do this as well, showed up here with us from the beginning. But we had to integrate with neighbors and immediately on a place we live, where we live, uh, we have to help each other. The road goes out, the power goes out, Cars break down. Many don't have cars. So there's so many good neighbor things that you just have to do where I live that you, you have to overlook almost all differences all the time and pretty much work together on the commonalities. And that's not just like a cliched thing here. It's like I have to get to the store. There's a landslide. Your car is on the other side. You need to transport stuff down to your uncle down the road. Even if you don't like him, you don't want him to starve because the road went out. So here we, we, we end up having to help each other. Then we look at each other like people and friends. And then we have disagreements like we do. We had a political meeting just the other day here and elected our, uh, in our political association for this region and elected our mayor type person and all the secretaries. And, and we had some really good arguments there. But everybody is, is, has worked together so hard and lives in this country in a, in a type of poverty that it really requires a community to, so that people can survive. Um, it's, the commonalities mean a lot more than the differences. 
And then what I've done is also I put my money where my mouth is. I, I don't just show up and argue with my neighbors about geopolitics. I teach them by bringing in the capital it really requires to have employment and actually hire people and support their families even though they may totally disagree with me about the way I don't want to use pesticides or I don't uh, I want to consider far off places by not taking in and using resources the, in a wasteful manner or you know you doing labor by hand instead of just using machines like these things I've been able to really uh, make bridge gaps because I'm not just talking about it. We've been showing up with capital and investing in our ideas and that investment trickles out to the community. So our community trusts that we're here in all of their best interests. And uh, we work on water systems together and we work on food co-ops and how we're gonna process the food we make so we can all make a living. Uh, that's, that's what I see down here in this community. And this is a radically different community from where I would live if I lived in Portland. I'm surrounded here most of the time by, you know, when there's 20 of us here, maybe it seems to be like a lot of us here together. But when there's just a few of us here, it's me and a few friends and uh, a thousand Podescalenos that I, I, I hang out with and love. And most of them are strong ca Catholics. You know, they really disagree with, uh, I would do, on a fundamental level, on a lot of things with me. Um, but we, that doesn't come up because <clears throat> most of our discussions are about how we're going to make the community out here better for everybody so their kids can go to school um, and so they can have a road that works when they need to get to the doctor. So the, com the commonalities I find, I would say trumping the bad things, but I don't, I don't want to use the word trumping <laughs> anymore, so I don't know what to how to say that anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I think there's a notion, though, that um, we're sort of making a deal with the devil so that if, if I... Uh, find a way to, if I have common ground with a Trump supporter, we both like football or I don't know, um, whatever, like, and we have a beer together that I've somehow, I've compromised myself ideologically or ethically. And I'm not saying that I agree with this, but I think we've almost, yeah. Uh, wars on, yeah. yeah, well, right. And it's like your friends are going, your liberal friends will sort of, shame you or like um you know you're, you 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 crossed the line and the, you know you you walk to the other side and like um you know isn't it isn't it okay to um yeah you know have have people over and ha like have a talk and you know when you care about people like you're saying it's harder to to hate yeah. um so uh, and, you know, w nobody wants to get anywhere with just sheer hatred. I mean, that's at least not what uh, the, the liberal side, I would think, claims to stand for, right? No, I think that we're probably getting bitter, and it's hard to talk to some. Liberals have a hard time explaining themselves, because actually to understand the world's problems, you better be understanding why people voted for Trump. You better also be understanding why people didn't show up with passion for Hillary or why we let Trump take the election without even winning the popular vote again and, and uh, we're not really questioning how these elections work. Um, so I, I think we, we should be analyzing, the liberals of America should be getting more educated than ever now and not giving up on that fight and not thinking about it as much as a fight as like a real, we need to educate our communities and we're not going to get there by just screaming at people. We're going to get there when we 
have logical answers. And you know what it means is a lot of my liberal friends don't know how to uh, change a tire. And my redneck friends know how to change a tire but don't know anything about Sudan. So like we, I think we have to be willing to learn from each other. And there's a lot to learn from the people that voted for Trump too. And I, I think that I, I get along with most of them just as well, if not more actually, because at least they, they, they go for what they want. I, I have a hard time with the wishy-washy uh, like no, indecisiveness of, of like liberal, the liberal American political parties at least. They tend to be paralyzed by slow change to keep markets happy and keep jobs happening. And I don't know, it seems, it seems like the Trump supporters at least commit, like they full commit to what they believe. I, I, don't, I don't agree with them, but they, they fully commit. And they show up hardcore at rallies and there was no passion like that for the Democrats. There was for Bernie Sanders and that was a beautiful thing, but he got absolutely no coverage. So he wasn't, he wasn't a really factor until it was too late. Um, and the Democratic Party had made a big miscalculation there in not supporting a candidate that, like him that stood up for a lot of liberals' real values. Uh, he has his own problems, but we could have dealt with those later. Uh, so, but, but what Trump is, is doing, from what I hear, you said earlier that, you know, it, moving to the jungle doesn't sound like such a bad idea. Now, I'm getting 100 emails a week saying that to me right now, so you're not alone there. But I think what people are going to learn about homesteading and about getting into these things is that we're, there's already people doing it. We're, we're, we're doing the experiments. We're, there's, there's millions of small farms out there and, and collective, uh, collectively owned co-ops and businesses to go, take, to go and learn from. We don't have to reinvent this wheel anymore, and a lot of us have been doing that. So that energy that you're feeling that, like, I mean, I got to run. Well, maybe, maybe your personality needs to. I did. I had to get really far away from politicians. I was, I was angry. Uh, the jungle helps calm me down, but uh, but I did for a while. I I was very upset at George Bush and the, and all those things. So I, I I went I went I went into my own searching here and learning the basics and getting simple. But uh, I would I would like everybody to look in the mirror and and think about this moment and that energy you're feeling like running and maybe think this is the time when we organize and and revolutions don't happen overnight and uh, we don't want a violent revolution. It, that's not going to work out well for uh, most people. It doesn't. Uh, society collapsing sucks. So what we need to do right now is, is uh, use this opportunity to organize. We need to build unions again. We need to learn what those things even mean. <clears throat> we need to re-educate ourselves on connecting progressive movements and progressive movements, not liberal movements or anarchic movements, but both those things together and thinking about the way that it was happening, like the, the turn of the last century in the 1890s. There, there was real progressive movement happening with the farmers connecting with the activists of the cities. and uh, we, we can learn a lot from those, those times. And uh, the Trump era is going to be not much different from many other times in this country when corporate capitalism takes its big shots forward and tries to, tries to really cinch in its control. But we, we, can, have, we can have a serious... We can, we can seriously push things the other direction. It's, it just requires the organization. And this is the kind of man that brings out like a visceral response. He's offending everyone so deeply. And when his own supporters realize that he was lying to them too, because he just represents the billionaires, they're, they're all going to be upset. So soon enough, we're coming to a time when we're going to start standing up together and fighting. And it doesn't, you don't need your uncle to agree with you at dinner uh, once a year when you see him. You need to organize the rest of your family into doing the right thing, and he'll either follow or he won't, or he'll get really old and die. And that, that whole generation of hateful, racist people is, is fading away. And 
Donald Trump is a reaction from like that. A lot, a lot of his people are that class of are those people that have never, never changed and never going to. But there's seven out of eight or six out of seven Americans that didn't vote for Donald Trump. And by the way, one of my big experiences down here over the years has been spending time with Europeans and South Americans and Africans and people from Asia and like all over the world coming here to, to learn permaculture or to experience this life for a minute. And what Trump has done to them or what even Bush did to them and um, they, they really wonder if we're all that way. And I, I think we need to remind ourselves that we're not, that six out of seven of us did not vote for this person and this party or these Congress people. We didn't vote, most of us. And we're going to pay for that for a while. We're going to learn what it means not to show up right now. And Obama gave us this hopey, changey thing from above that did feel, feel it, had, it felt better. Well, we're in for not feeling better for a while about things. And uh, I, I, hope, I hope people are ready to think about what it means to organize. Because that's all that these people have done. The, the people that have taken power over the last years, they've just been really good at organizing. The people they're putting into the cabinet these days, it's, it's the same people that have been locking control in for the last 30 or 40 years. Neoliberalism, neo-fascism, these things aren't new. Neither one of them are new. They're not no neo. Swamp train. No, no, it's the Where's same people. Swamp train? It's Goldman Sachs all the way to the end. And we're and the Koch brothers and people that really are entrenched in all the the biggest industries in our country. And we're gonna have to start thinking about politics uh, as it as a powerful thing instead of degrading government and talking shit about government and acting like government's the problem, we need to realize that corporate corporations completely controlling the government is the problem. And uh, we need to make a government that actually responds and fights against the tyranny of, of hierarchical capitalism that, that allows no real controls over itself. It has to be controlled whenever capitalism doesn't have any restrictions on itself. It just wants it all. And if we want to have a capitalistic world in any way, which I don't think most people even understand, we're going to have to have controls over it so it doesn't commodify everything in the world, including you and your child and every thought you have and everything, and every drop of water and air and piece of forest land. Like, we have to think about these things differently. And, and I think that we, we're just start, gonna have to start showing up for this fight again. Many generations struggled to gain the rights that we now have to vote and stuff. And we take it for granted, don't do it. And because we take it for granted, we're gonna lose it. We've lost it already. It, election, elections are a joke. The DNC and the RNC, it's a joke. These are not the best people our country had to offer. Is Donald Trump the best well, Republican are, we had to they, offer? Is, is Hillary the best no. Democrat we had? No. Like we, we, our elections are already a joke because they knew we wouldn't show up. They knew it. Right. Well, the, the RNC, in fairness to their Trump, they didn't want Trump. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, he was, actually, he was actually a wild card to them for sure. And the Democrats should have taken that more seriously. But, but either way, Goldman Sachs is in the cabinet today. So we're, 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 we're in for the long ride of politics. It's not going to be one president, one Bernie Sanders. Uh, that, that was the problem with what I felt in the Sanders movement is a bunch of people got on board because it felt like some moment could do it for you. And uh, the organizing that it's going to take to have this struggle is going to be beyond all of our years. If we want clean water and air and stuff, we have a very short window to fix those things. We're, we're poisoning ourselves really quickly. Uh, and as China and India and the, what we used to call the third world come on board to live like us, it's, it's accelerating really rapidly. And whether people want to believe in climate change or not, we can all 
probably take a look out our windows and come to terms with the fact that we have local land-based destruction everywhere we're at in the air over your town or the water flowing through your creeks or the erosion down the street or on your own land is real whether or not you believe <coughs> in man-made anthropomorphic climate, global climate change. But no matter what people want to believe right now, we're cooking this planet and the glaciers are slipping and clean water is going to be an issue and we have some examples to look towards right now. We, we, there, is per, there are parallel infrastructures like permaculture that have been introducing themselves, things like that all around the world that are coming up with answers but we're getting no help from the top down because they want to commodify things like water. But the Standing Rock protests, these things are, are people are starting to wake up. People are organizing around commons clean water, clean air. I think these things are going to change the game and we have to treat, the, treat them like they matter. And politics aside, I mean both sides want to breathe and at some point we're going to come together on this stuff. I find it easy once somebody gets exposed to the, the jungle here at least, I find it really easy to bring, bring us together and, and avoid the hot topics long enough to like pay our dues to fix the water in even just one location. So. I think we could come together on these things. And if your uncle doesn't want to come together about it, don't, don't talk to him about it. Move on. There's plenty of people on our team. Right. You know, so you're sort of saying make, make an effort to be friends with people a little bit first, try and find some common ground before, you know, just diving into whatever differences you have. And the differences are being set up by the propaganda that's working against you and I when we talk about these things. They, a lot of people are lost in the propaganda. They don't understand what's happened to them. So it's, it's up to you and I to have, like those of us that want to communicate with people, to not just shut down and let people spout things at the dinner table that aren't true. We're going to have to figure out how to tactfully counter well thought through propaganda, not just some lies on TV. I mean 60, 70 years of Exxon actively making sure that we don't talk about these things properly. Those things are being exposed. We're seeing these, we're seeing that they've been doing this. So we're coming to a time when we're going to have to challenge people's uh, deep, deeply held beliefs that are held falsely, that really falsely. Like we, we're going to have to figure that out. I, I, I do it all the time by, by talking about the simple things. We there's a couple of things throughout history that a lot of us can agree on. Um, Vietnam War was a time when families were torn apart. But those that talking about the Vietnam War with people that are a little older than me, that maybe don't agree on climate change, they tend to come to terms with it real quick that America shouldn't be engaged in wars all around the world. And we find common ground. And then we can talk about oil and how oil relates to climate. And all of a sudden we're talking about changing the world for a better, for different reasons. So. I think I look more for allies now instead of uh, people that would be like on my team all the time. I don't need to have a billion people agree with me. I just, sometimes you just have to be able to rely on certain things. And a lot of other countries have parliamentary style, style systems. In America, we're kind of winner-takes-all mind, mindset. We, we win, we lose <clears throat> our party. In most countries, there's small parties. They, they win a certain percentage and then they have to like compromise and ally with other parties and then they get some good things done in parliamentary type things. So I, I think that way, I think we're going to have to think in, in the form of alliances instead of full agreements no, and not even like, uh, uh, it's, it's hard, consensus is even really hard to get. I don't even know if you can pull that off, but I do know that you can, you can find enough common ground to probably make a lot of the biggest decisions. 
or at least start down the path. And once you start talking about something like clean water, maybe they'll come to the meeting with you and see the test and see how Monsanto chemical is in their drinking water and then they're going to realize that they need to identify this, the true, uh, maybe they'll see the, 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 the entity that's actually hurting them and they'll start identifying the, the corporate problem or whatever and then maybe you can get the next level. Okay, well why is this company covering up that this happens? And so I've opened a lot of doors through, through getting people to think, uh, think about common things and then, and then talking about media literacy, uh, about what it means to understand who's talking to you who's telling you what you, you know. And a lot of people say they don't watch the news, but they do gather news. It just comes in in ways like Facebook now and just quick little headlines. And It's important we know who's telling us these things and source it. So I, I spend a lot of my time sourcing and looking up where, where and why I would read a story and, and trying to show people those stories and show them where these accountable sources are. And or when I hear something, I go and look up their source and then try and have a, a good rebuttal. It doesn't mean that you're going to win the argument. You may not need to. Uh, your job may not need to. Oh, and by the way, uh, I don't need to change my uncle at the dinner table when we're talking. What I need to do is make sure these other 10 people at the table don't follow him, that they see him for what he is. So sometimes arguing with the guy in the room, I think, I think Richard Dawkins said this. I don't have to like change that crazy person over there. I just need everybody else at the table to realize that's a crazy person over there. Right. And whether they follow me or not, they shouldn't follow him. So it's, yeah. it's sometimes you might just have to argue with people and, and leave it at that. And uh, I feel like we're, we're, we're pushing this ball forward. And it's not just to change the one soul that we're talking to. It may be the thousands around you or the two around you or the one around you. I changed when I sat in rooms where two people that passionately believed in something argued. And I saw that this person had a real backed up story. That's what's what got me into people like Noam Chomsky. I, I saw people argue against him and lose. Uh, yeah, I really, I really value the, the, the forging of ideas and the honing of, of a good argument by doing it. It's okay. Political discourse is important. We used to be proud of being able to argue about our politics, and now we're a little ashamed of it. In the 50s, people felt very informed. In the 40s, people, men were like proud to know politics. And all of a sudden, it's like a taboo subject. So I, I, I think it's okay to be an informed person that carries the ball that the media is dropping. It, it, the media, uh, you are the media, I am the media, you know, since, since uh, the media is not functioning properly. And it's the, they call it the fourth estate for a reason. Without it, you can't, you, it, you, like this, the democracy falls. Um, so it's, it's on us that are wanting to pay attention, have gathered logical information and have sources we can trust. Friends who've gone and worked in Antarctica, and I have people I know that work on climate change science. Like, it's it's hard to argue with these things unless you're really not paying attention. So, I don't again I don't know what to do with everybody that doesn't want to listen to it. But uh, it's okay to argue about it, and the other people in the room might probably going to follow you, not the other person. You know, when when they look at science and. <laughs> yeah. But that's an interesting one. So I and don't forget one out of seven, one out of eight Americans voted for Trump. The rest didn't. Yeah, I um. You know, I, I, I did have sort of a hope uh, leading up to this election that somebody, you know, that the, 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 the better argument would come through and Trump would be shown to be a fraud and his arguments would be torn apart, which they were a gajillion times by lots of sources. But it didn't, I mean, to some extent it didn't work. And, you know, um, so it does... It, it, it does leave you with kind of a disquieting sense that 
Well, is the better argument really going to win? I mean, I I, I would hope so, but um, it just seems like education and argument and all that seems to have some on some level failed here. And I, I, you know, I haven't fact checked your statistic about one in seven. I'll just give you that. Let's just say well, like 60 million Americans voted for him. There's 330 million of us or whatever. So like a lot of us didn't vote. Fine. For I'll give it to you. The, 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 the point, like the true culture that, war is not being lost. That, the appearance is changing though. Right. Right. Um, but, but I, I guess, it, you know, I, I think the idea though is that just kind of t- tearing down the argument might not be enough. No, I think no, is what it not. suggests. It's is, not. Yeah. It's not enough. You have to have. Uh, I mean, there's been a well-constructed push for the since the end of World War II for the most powerful and wealthy people in the world to maintain control through a system of propaganda and stealing elections and doing whatever they have to do. Even if stealing elections just means running bullshit stories for 25 years about stuff until people just believe it and and not talking about major issues like climate change until it's like too late or not talking about a war until it's way too late um, so uh, yeah I, uh, I I think it's it's not as bad as we want to believe it feels it, it the, the the tone is changing the rhythm feels like it's changing a bit and it is and it's gonna matter it does matter that that this is that this uh, seems to be taking over but but the progressive movements are still growing. Organic farmers markets are still growing. We're going to keep establishing better ideas, not just arguing, not just winning an argument. We're pushing pulling the whole system along and that either eliminates species in mass or maybe it starts to regenerate and help. So like, I, I don't think it's as much as we won or lost an argument is like we're, we're losing we're losing the, the political argument, it appears. But, but I think politics is now, is now merely the, uh, some smart people said this, uh, <laughs> it's the shadow cast over society by, by the wealthy and the big corporations. And they're, 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 they're playing tricks with us. This is camera tricks. And, and they're putting the same people in control every time behind the scenes. Um, we don't cut the size of our military and the massive amount of money we spend each year building machines of destruction. That, are, that end up being like the war in Iraq and in the years these things are happening, the most damaging thing for climate change in the entire world is when you have a war, especially a major one. So having, having most of our economy count on this made it so Clinton didn't even really make, make a difference on this and neither would uh, Obama for another eight years. We are, we are increasing spending on nuclear weapons. Obama approved a $2 trillion increase. Uh, Trump said he'd approve it again and then everybody kind of freaks out for a second. But but we we because well, they think Trump will actually launch. Well, yeah. Well, launch them or not, I mean, building useful nuclear weapons. Like, what does that mean? Like, uh, <laughs> we 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 need to come come to sanity right now, and it's not going to happen from the top down. It's going to happen when we kind of lose hope in the top down approach and start managing our communities like it matters again and becoming states people. You know, like we we need we need to to know what our country's up to. We need to be actively being a part of it. If not, which we are actually, we are actively a part of it. If we're just mindlessly purchasing stuff and mindlessly going to work and not paying attention to this, you're, you are part of the geoengineering that's happening. The one that turns deserts or turns jungles into deserts to make paper that we just throw away in seconds. Yeah, the one that makes non, plastic. Non-deliberate the non-deliberate, yeah. Like we're doing yeah. that right now by being passive consumers. So. So I say like it's time to be like less passive in the way we treat the world and and people around the world who come to my farm here 
constantly are asking me, like, are, are Americans are crazy. And I'm having to say, you know what, I, I don't agree. Like, I, I think, and I talked a lot, I've talked a lot about America in my days as an activist, and I've been very, it's, it's ugly, and I want to talk about it. But <clears throat> it's not most of us that support these things directly. We, we do it in an indirect manner because of all these circumstances. And I understand a lot of those circumstances, but there comes a time in history where, the, where the things are just too much. And it's too much right now. We're spending half of our national budget on war. Like half of our economy is based on war. It's not a joke. Those weapons have to be used or, they, or there's no more stock market tomorrow. Like we have to get out of the cycle of violence. And both our candidates were, were, were violent. They're both going to continue the arming of the world. Um, and we never ended the Cold War. We never officially ended World War II even. We're in a massive struggle around the world by a few powers to try and run things. And they're doing it for resources that we all squander. So we shouldn't think of Trump as like a new thing. It's not new. It's just an unmasking of who we really are. And not all of us but who we allow to run us. And this is, this is time. This is, this is motivating to me. The Bush years shifted a ton of people. Millions of people went into rebellion and have stayed there. And the reason there's a lot of new things, new alternative energy is because of the, the, the balancing the other direction at the, with the anger that people felt over, over many, the anger people felt over many of the issues that uh, people like Trump, you know, they spit in our faces on, like publicly. They don't just politically dance around global warming and how they're not really going to change anything like Hillary might. He says it's a Chinese conspiracy or something. Like these, these things are, are going to cause a visceral response by the people who actually know science, by the people who've been living on the front lines of pollution and the front lines of the war on uh, our brothers and sisters of color in the United States. Like we, the, Trump has no idea. His perspective is so skewed, his rich man approach. And he's about, he's in for it. It's about to happen. His, his, I think he's not ready for how much America is going to turn on him and how quickly the liberals are going to stand up. We need to, in the first hundred days, in the first six months, in the first year, to stop what he's going to try and do to like re, uh, to continue the clinching down of like uh, of a, of a fully privatized and out of control corporatocracy. Like we, this is, this is our time to stand and Hillary, Obama, we kind of left it up to them. Well, this, that's, it's coming, it's coming to pass now that we're going to have to take the reins and we can't wait four years for climate change stuff. We can't wait four more years for the end of the wars around the world. We, we need to stop these things. We're on the verge of real war with China. Uh, in the South China Sea. There's a lot of things that we're not being told. We're in the war, we're in the re verge of nuclear war with, in Pakistan and India all the time. This is, we need diplomacy right now. We need thoughtful diplomacy and we're not getting that from our Twitter president. We're getting... We're not. No, no. We're, we're going we're gonna to get I, reactionary. I think really thoughtful. I don't know what <laughs> you're talking about. Well, it's going to be up to you and me to make sure that the whole world doesn't think all Americans are crazy. I think he... <laughs> He carefully calculates every word he tweets. If he does, then he's, a, then he's a real bastard. Like, and I think he's actually just kind of stupid. Um, and you know, and, and we're, in, we're in for it now. We're, we're going to see like that. It, it's, it's, it's like Bush, but it, even more unmasked. Like Bush really stepped out of a lot of roles and just let, let the people run it for him, this cabinet. And he barely showed up. Well, Trump's going to show up, but we're, we're going to see. There's, there's a very strong... Uh, pull to the right right now and 
I hope that creates the tug of war back to the left and that more people than ever who actually most of us agree that climate change is something that's very real and we have to change. Most like 75% of Americans believe that. It's not, it's not, uh, we're not in the minority here. There's not an argument amongst most of us. So rallying our team here is more important than trying to convince this minority that they need to change. Um, it's a bummer when the minority has all the power. But that's still an illusion too. We, we, if we show up, no government in the world can sustain like a, a month-long serious protest stop in the streets. Like, like they all collapse. So let's not forget that it, it could come down to that in the next few years. Um, we're going to have to pile on in our city sometimes and scream so that the rest of the world doesn't think we're crazy and so that our politicians will respond and that we can give the, the true, like, strong progressive politicians some, some backup in the streets and show them that we'll be there for them so they can stick their necks out, which means we're going to have to do permapolitics. We need, we need to get uh, candidates in office at every level um, that believe in and work with us, uh, believe in the same things as us and work with us, and that we can finance that. There are thousands of uh, projects going in, in uh, things like permaculture where we could uh, create the financing and the, the, the volunteerism required to win seats in the liberal parts of the United States. You could win in California, Washington, Oregon, even Alaska. There's a ton of like homesteading-minded, anarchist-minded right-wingers that we can get along with and bridge gaps and like start getting people that care put into office. That's, that's interesting. I just want to stop you on that then. So, um, you know, I, permaculture, for obvious reasons, is associated with liberals on the left. What are some, the, but, there, but there are, uh, you know, having spent some time in it, some, I think some permaculture principles that actually are appealing to more conservatively minded people. Um, can you talk about what, what they are and how that, yeah. that could potentially be a bridge between people that you would otherwise think what might yeah. not have anything in common. In like a more traditional uh, libertarian person, not in like the new libertarian no, person, yeah, I mean, like local rights, lo lo small rights business, rights. like getting a chance, uh, like not taxing the hell out of and over-regulating the small innovation of the world. Like I can, you can get there. Permaculture is going to challenge a lot of local laws and stuff to change them, to put in things like compost toilets and more chickens. And so like a lot of, a lot of anarchist types really do want to buck the system and hate, they hate they can't have five chickens in, in their city limits and so we find common ground there um, and permaculture I don't know, localizing things tends to be that that uh, thinking of your own watershed that that's a lot of the people I thought of in, 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 as politically minded in southern Oregon that's the kind of stuff they thought about they thought about protecting them where they hunted and that they if there's no trees where you hunted your whole life there, there's no deer either eventually like it's 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 a uh, it's a balance I've, I've struck in my life living in Red State, Oregon, and then, you know, in Portland, Oregon, too, where we have the most bike-friendly city and the most SUVs per capita, at least when I was there. So, <clears throat> and we get along pretty well most of the time. And we have very liberal local politics because we changed the laws there a lot so that, like, you could get publicly funded elections. And that's happening all over the states, too. We can keep pushing for those things. Um, right. matching funds from the corporate candidates and, and right now we have a great opportunity with the, between the internet and what Sanders proved is you can really raise a lot of money with the internet you can get a lot of attention from these big organizations to go win local elections instead of focusing everything on the presidential which is I think the, the waste of the money it was great to get some publicity for like a Sanders campaign but what you need is that amount of energy to go into the 
the next congressional election when no one's going to show up to vote because it's the off presidential year. Liberals vote less. Yep. Well, liberals need to show up and, and, and anarchists need to show up that will vote together to put in permaculture type ideological people all around the country. And you can win those elections locally. They're not that big. Congress represents very small chunks of population. You can win a bunch of seats in Congress. I know maybe a lot of people are shaking their head and saying that doesn't matter, and I might even do the same thing. <laughs> but, but I don't think you, you have a chance if you don't show up. And, and at the very least, wouldn't you like to get some people in power that could go out every day and, and get the bully pulpit for a minute and be a one-term one congressperson that gets to investigate the hell out of Exxon the entire time and never stop. Like, be a one-issue person. I don't care. Like, just get involved because the other side is involved and that's why they're winning. I, I went to meetings when I was younger with a girlfriend's father and he was in this business called Amway and maybe people didn't think much of it then. It was a door-to-door -door soap company. But the people that they pushed and the right-wing politics I saw growing during the Clinton years and the amount of hate that they had for the Clintons. I, I knew deep down that was going to destroy her in this election. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand this. But they're, they're appointing these people, the DeVos family, the, the Van Andel family, these like crazy billionaires that are really, really right wing. Trump's already putting them in to destroy education and all these things. This wasn't an accident. This was 30 or 40 years of hardcore political organizing the right wing did. They put people like Rush Limbaugh out there to never stop, never stop doubting global warming. Never stop doubting how much the hippies are going to destroy your economy. But you do think that, I, I believe Rush Limbaugh sincerely believes his, that global warming is whatever he says it is. Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, but how can he, want, he, wants, he wants people to do drugs to go to prison, but he abuses drugs on his own. I'm not saying he isn't a hypocrite. I'm, a hypocrite. I'm just saying that I don't think he's doing it just because somebody is telling him. I actually do think he... Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be interested to really know, but I don't yeah, think it even I mean, matters because, like, the world's pretty much run by this television slash Hollywood machine. Like, you can make truth just by making it reverberate through the system, and they're, they're, he's done that. Him and a few other people bounce off each other, source yeah, who yeah. knows what, and tell us how it's all fake and how, uh, and tell us the government is evil. The government is evil. All my life in right wing America, the government is evil. Um, that that has won the the day like since the red scare and you move through and uh through the reagan times and really right. painting america as like 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 we're anti-socialist we're anti-communist and like we right. have to fight this thing they push that so hard and if you don't listen to it you probably it's hard to understand but i did when i was young and i know i know what they're telling them and 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 trump's the same old thing he's putting these same people in power but this was a long organizational plan they went local they went and won school board meetings uh, school board representation. They went and won sheriff's department, uh, sheriff had uh, elections. They went and won judgeships and they took over incrementally. Congress was democratic until like 96, like for 50 years, you know, like it was, it, <clears throat> so this stuff shifted with this revolution and we need to have the same kind of revolution for progressive ideas. And we think it can't work. I, I don't know why we think it can't work. Just because we haven't tried oh, in a it's, while. It's I mean, it's, you know, California got a bunch of liberal right. stuff through. I mean, it's worked yeah. in, in pockets, and I, yeah. I think it is important to count yeah. count our, our eggs there because yeah. uh, that gives people some some feeling of success. I, yeah. I you know, um, but but I, I just wanted to say I, I do think so. The concept of like self reliance is typically is. associated with conservatives. It's it like. Is. The conservatives hate the fact that there's a bunch of poor, lazy people smoking pot, yeah. living off government paychecks, 
and yeah. um, they and they don't want the government to provide everything for them. They want to do it themselves. Yeah. So uh, per- I permaculture to do that for real. Well, right. Him, well, yeah. not everything, but but permaculture does uh, does value and emphasize making you a producer yeah. of at least some, not all. Yeah. You're not going to produce everything on your own, yeah. but some of it. So. Is that a principle that you've been maybe able to mm-hmm. reach people on um, as permaculture as a way of creating less dependency? Yes. Not no dependency, yes. but less dependency. Yes. And the idea of, of localism in a bunch of ways. Like I said, maybe maybe the abstract of climate change doesn't get a conservative excited, but maybe the the river in their area being clean does. And so we we can come together on those type of things. And in permaculture, we embrace the principles of, of water and protection, commons. So I think that's a place where I've, I've gotten a lot of people to agree. Um, <clears throat> the uh, this intelligence of organizing a small business that works, that also brings people together. Um, I find a lot of libertarian types run small companies or mid-sized companies. They don't just work at big companies and go check in and out every day. They're, they're running a small business of America. So having a smart uh, forestry plan that, that retires your children and retires you into your age, you know, your old age, these things can be very real with permaculture too. Uh, thinking of food forest orchards, the ways to get value out of a piece of land that seemed to be de- dead or sacrificed, that's, uh, that's intriguing to a lot of a lot of conservative types and I've uh, actually our farm has had an impact on a lot of my conservative friends because they show up and see the reality like how things are actually producing how it really works and so I, I think sticking to these ideals and making permaculture work it's going to attract people that that uh, not only care about the biodiversity and the the success of it for what it does with wild spaces and stuff but at the same time how the creation of those wild spaces made small business uh, and capital investment made it all made sense, right? Because because typically you know a lot of the time, li- liberals are like kind of scared of the word business mm-hmm. and sm- small business. I, I I think almost was a key word the Republicans used to help. You know we want to help small businesses, whereas um, I think it's seen as a potentially anti-union or anti-worker thing. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you're saying, permaculture needs uh, these small businesses to, to work. Mark Shepard has the line about uh, going out of business is another method of unsustainability, another path to unsustainability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it does, we, we do need to think about these things um, as, as businesses or we're yeah. just, it's not going to work. So if you are doing a comprehensive permaculture plan, you... You better have a good business plan, and then you're going to attract people from the other side of the aisle on that way of thinking. They, they're going to see that. And it may seem like anti-union if you use that, those words the wrong way. If you're using them to destroy unions, yeah. Like they, when they say small business from the Republican platform, they don't mean it. They, they're just, that's coded language for reduce regulation. Right. Um, now, what we're talking about is like collective business ownership is more like the traditional maybe, way, maybe the way Wall Street should have been, like where you own the companies you work with. So having collective ownership of a company is something that both uh, progressive communist types and small businessmen could share. Is they, you know, you're okay. Most of my friends who own small businesses are in partnership with a couple other people. Um, why not make that a little broader and have be in partnership with 50 other people and have a, a small company that's owned with shares. So these things work with permaculture too. And we've integrated that 
kind of simple, trackable business mind with the, and also established order that business offers. There's a lot of precedent in the business world and in the legal system around business that make it easy to, to make what we're doing in permaculture more tangible, more measurable, um, get investors to see it for what it is as a smart idea or a bad idea. And when we can start analyzing our own farms that way, maybe we'll, we'll refine ourselves better because we're introducing that business mindset into it. So I, I, I've, I've used that to not use that, but it just it just naturally flows into into joining people together. Yeah, one, uh, Having one, a producing orchard makes everybody excited. It's not just liberals that get excited about apples on trees. People who see that and think I can get that to market, right. and we need that person too. So we actually have to have people that care about doing business in our collectives, so that the people who like growing food and have green thumbs don't have to go out and market and brand and do things that maybe other people are really excited about. Right. Um, so, so shifting gears in a sense, uh, one, one issue on which I think we share is, you know, we're not religious. We're, we're both atheists and we, um, permaculture's, you know, associated, um, for a reason with kind of a, a new age spirituality that we both are pretty, um, averse to and, and some would say that it's a uh that you know religion is necessary for some people or maybe for all people we need to be able to um worship something in order to feel good and in order to feel connected to to the earth you know we we've talked a lot about this and you know you think of a, of a community as um yeah. you know replacement would be one word but um as something that could take that could take that could give people that feeling of connectedness without um, rejecting or accepting any uh, woo-woo principles or um, spiritual dogmas of any kind. Um, and, you know, that I think also you know, the, the church for a lot of people is the community that is when we come together, but we don't need to, you know, um, speak in tongues and thank <laughs> Jesus or whoever when we come together for community. We can... Yeah come together like we did last night and we just drank some cacao and gave a couple of massages. There wasn't, I didn't, I, if there was any spirituality, I missed it. So, um, you know, I think that's interesting for people because I, I do think there are, I, you know, I've been in a lot of atheist and skeptic circles and there is a bit of a sense of, um, alienation in, uh, in that belief sometimes because there isn't a church to go to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you do have your, your skeptic circles once in a while, but there, there's not really a feeling behind it. It's mostly, it's, you know, skeptics, we love our rational minds. And, and of, of course, I'm all for promoting that, but there's a bit of a, uh, not hollowness, but it just doesn't, it's emotionally, it sometimes can not feel that full. So, um I would just like to hear more about how you think of of community as as what we can uh, feed off of and and feed um, instead of a religious or spiritual principle. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I I work in our place. I really do push uh, unity over uniformity. So we we have never had any uniform belief system around around the Verdanerhia. And that's, 
I've, I've been guiding it a lot here, so I've, I kind of always pull it to that direction because I'm not just an atheist, I'm an anti-theist. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, you know, who has a preacher for a father pretty much. So I... Uh, <laughs> different kind of preacher. Yeah, different kind, but still, like, speaking of these things. And, and I, I grew up very, what you could say, trying to think of the connectedness of the universe and stuff, but not in a superstitious way. So... I have a hard time with superstition too, and it's it's difficult for me, and it, it, it's even insulting people hear me say it that way, you know. But but uh, I think there's so many of the things that we're yearning for in the religion, the, the religious circles, is is what's kind of lacking in our lives, and and are things we don't understand. And I think that we've walked away from our circles of trust and our elders and our our communities where we knew people, we knew people in our families, and we didn't really move that far away from each other. We used to have a, a real sense of tribe or community that's lacking, and the church fills that, that gap in um, for other reasons too, fear and all sorts of things. But, but I, I have a hard time with that myself. I, I, I work hard to not let us fall into that trap wherever I'm at, that we, we start to act like a, uh, our own personal superstitions or rituals. Uh, I don't know, that's hard for me. This, this is the one that I, I get stuck on myself. I, I find that I'm, I'm feeling better and better being out of the closet as an atheist over the last years. Even in these circles of, of a lot of woo-woo and a lot of people talking about these things around me all the time. And I'm still challenged with it. I, I, I think as long as people tend to have the right reasons behind it, and they like the earth religions that I, I enjoy, people who do those things because they tend to want the earth to be really healthy. We come up to the same, we come to the same conclusion, a healthier planet with people treating each other better. But the, the organized religion, that could be replaced by community. That could be replaced by showing up for each other, um, recreating intimacy and relationships, communicating better with our families and our, and our groups people who we work with. I'm always working myself, trying to be better at communicating how I really feel, feel even with my best friends and uh, allies down the street, neighbors. So I, I would like to fill those, those gaps. And I mean, we used to have like union halls and stuff. Right? We got together after work and really had camaraderie. And we, we had a home team at work at, at times in history. And like those, those things I think can start, can start filling in those niches in people's lives. And, we see what happens when we collapse far enough in society in some of the areas of the world where there's real war and um, where the church may have inordinate influence because they're the only people that ever show up to help with social issues from picking up garbage to, to educating children and then maybe one day educating those children to blow themselves up at a, at, a, at a mall or something. Like what <clears throat> I think community, when it fails, we better have better answers for these things than, than that. And, um, mm -hmm. and the major culture's failing and we better, we better have organization, not just around where our food comes from, but how we are in internal health, our mind's health. I, I pay attention to what my friends talk about. I had a friend commit suicide a few, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And, uh, you know, he had religion, but it didn't help him not commit suicide. And I was right here with him, and he didn't communicate with me either. So uh, I have other friends that have felt that way, but we talk because we live together closer in a permaculture community. So we see people and where they're at and if they're acting different. And so it, it's, it's on us all to be better. At this and I I find that harder than figuring out how to grow food organically and organize markets that's pretty easy to my mind but how to get people to stop needing superstition to just maybe developing real good coping skills for things in life I think I think that'd be nice and that's what a lot of this like the permaculture community side and our and our own little 
culture at our farm, we're trying to, t we're trying to tend to those things. Um, and I, I think superstition becomes less and less a part of it for us all the time. It just, it's more based in like the feeling, like how you feel with your community, how, how it's actually working, that you're having peace and communication. It's been one of the more interesting parts for me. And, and you would say that it's been, um, there's, there is an emotional satisfaction, because I think that's yeah. ultimately what people are looking for, right. is like they need to feel, it's like with the emphasis on feeling mm -hmm. um, connected to something uh, greater than themselves, and, and also feel like they matter mm -hmm. to something. Yeah. Um, Someone's listening. Because, yeah. Someone's paying attention to yeah. me. Yeah. Right, right. Because the I definitely think that in the big world and big civilization, there's, especially the, you live in a big city, there's a really overwhelming sense that you absolutely do not matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you ever live in, especially yeah. like New York or something, you're on the subway, it's like, I could kind of just jump onto the tracks and like... No one even knows. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> there might be a few screams, but people would kind of get over it and then like whatever. <laughs> It happens all the time, man. Oh, right, Suicide's right. one of the leading causes of death in our society. Like we're not, we're not paying attention to each other. Right, and <laughs> I, I th right, and I think, I think having cultivating social relationships is one of the best yeah. uh, me methods to defend against that. And I, I do think that the there's something to learn in um, what you might think of as perhaps like woo-woo ceremonies, be because it we take the time to. Um, validate feelings of gratitude and like listen to each other whereas like I, that's like I don't know that's not really a part of our you know our our daily I don't know at least in, in my family we didn't say grace because we weren't religious but mm -hmm. you know you I do like the idea of giving gratitude especially not to God or to Jesus or to the wind or something but just <laughs> to to your family, like to yeah. somebody for helping you out yeah. or for your yeah. health or whatever. Like that food was produced in the rain and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody sweat and mm -hmm. tears were put into that. So yeah. I, I do think that that there, there is something there that's worth um, accepting and adopting. It's yeah. not just throw the whole thing. No, we have, we, we do little ceremonies all the time. We just don't think about them that way. We have habits with our friends. We have, you know, habits at work. We don't think about it as ceremony, but when you have like a meeting at work to get all excited about stuff or team building, like these are little ceremonies. And, and hippies just say it in a more like woo-woo way, so it feels weird. It feels weird to me. But I know studies show from even Google, they have meetings and they let the meeting be 50, you know, 20, 30 percent sitting around talking to people about how your weekend was and going through a ritual of community building which makes the meeting short. Uh, you don't get as much done in details, but people actually are happier and work together better. So we all do ceremonies. I just we call it that in a lot of these circles. So it's a little scary, and to me too. And I, I, I still laugh about it. But, but it's worth it most of the time. And if you can take, you know, the the new age religion thing, I, I find it not 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 as annoying as the dogmatic old stuff that was really about fear. Um, I don't I don't mind so much hearing from people when they're when they're in positive space with that. If your superstition is making your life happy, like it doesn't bother me. But, but being around uh, people who live in the darkness and the fear of it, that, I'm glad that's kind of dissipating, even though we have superstition still a bit. It's still, it seems to be a positive one, um, which doesn't bother me too much. <laughs> but I don't want to, uh, 
I don't want to discount what it means for someone when they finally do feel something and whatever makes them move, if their hands will manifest a world that makes it better for all of us, that's what I'm all about. And down here I have to work with people that are truly Catholic, that truly believe I'm going to burn in hell. I'm their friend, we meet every day, they work for me, and I know they think I'm going to burn in hell. And so uh, I, I can't let that bother me. I hope they let it bother them less and less over time. But uh, I can just keep proving myself a good neighbor and that we use that stuff positively, and I hope they, I hope they can come out of that, that headspace. But yeah, I've been pat on the head a lot by religious people. They think I'm, I'm kind of dumb and I'm going to catch up one day. But I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying being more open about this, and a lot, a lot of people have been terrified over the years to come out about, as like, unbelievers. Um, it's, a, it's a big deal. I think it's, it's hard to talk about even at all. But I... I I'm taking a stand and that I want uh, observation and logic to run the world and, the, and all the feeling-based things to be a reason to move, but not, not uh, it's not what it's all about, you know. There's, there's also these commons that, <clears throat> that superstition doesn't, uh, needs to take into account that I live in this world with them, even if I don't believe like them. So I, I, I'm, uh, I'm standing taller all the time on that, and as I'm getting, trying to get better at it, uh, even calling it superstition is going to get me in trouble with this one. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I get you in trouble with somebody. It certainly has gotten um, gotten me into some trouble. Although, um, I find that when you uh, when you do talk, you know, slow down and talk about it a little bit, that you do find um, some common ground. I mean, you know, usually, um, and. Uh, yeah, the, the the community aspect is something I've I've found to, to be really important because I've always been you know pretty much an, an atheist and I my younger years I didn't really didn't occur to me that that you might there might be something lost there that would be of value and then as I've gotten older and realized what a community does for people and. Um, you know, experienced, um, some of my own problems and, um, you know, depression and, and, and this and that, it's like, you realize how important that actually is. And it's like, well, hold on a second. There, there might be something here worth paying attention to. Um, yeah, having people to listen to you and care, go into confession. That's like an interesting thing. Some people we, in the secular world, we may just go to therapy or whatever, but, right. uh, getting to talk about your feelings and though. people caring. What's that? Yeah, no, no, I think that uh, the, feeling with, the thing with therapy, though, is that it, uh, it still feels really kind of secluded. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's like laws that protect you from being talked about. Yeah. Well, sure, right, right. No, <laughs> no, no, and it feels good to tell somebody, but it's still, it's not, I, you know, it's, I, that's not really community, right? Because yeah, it still feels like it's just some guy that I'm paying to listen no. to me, right? Well, it is, and that, that, that is why we probably don't get better with that stuff so much. Because no, you actually need no. to go say that stuff to your mom. Like, that's what you were trying to do. And the therapist is probably telling you a million times, hey, can you go say this to your mom? I'm like, no way. <laughs> well, in a society where we actually maybe took more responsibility for everything in our families instead of leaving it up just to the superstition or, like, blaming all the rules on some far-off entity, like, I, I find it, uh, I counted on my family more for the support I needed rather than the superstition because my family didn't do the superstition. So... I, I, the, when I didn't need community in my life, so I have a pretty easy time saying difficult things to people I love and even saying things about myself to people I love. It's a practice, though, and we've been, not, we've been practicing the other way for a while. It's been very, like I said, technical, like in therapy, or people that still count on church. I think 
a lot of time that's really done out of fear, like confession and stuff. That's really hoping they don't get in trouble for what they've done. Right. That's not really acceptance either. The person listening to you probably tells you they don't accept you. So, so I, I think people should reanalyze that. There's a lot of great churches out there, though. I, I, I've been to some fun ones in my life, and uh, Episcopalians oh, yes. are great anti-war folks, and I, I had great times at meetings at their churches, really yeah. engaging. The Quakers, my family are Quakers on one side, and they have really engaging, amazing relationships with their people in their churches. And I, I would probably emulate the Quakers more than anyone else. That, that's the kind of thing I can get on board with. They mostly just talk about what they're going to do in their community with each other and their relationship with their God is a personal, quiet thing where they sit there and think. So uh, I, I, I can get on board with that in a, in a, in a quantum physics kind of way too. And, uh, you know, we're in a, in, a, in a place where I sit and stare at the jungle and see life like change right in front of my eyes daily. Right. Um, so yeah. that, that, that really, it really does help to, to tap into the, the wonder. And you can, as Richard Dawkins talks about, uh, I can understand a rainbow and how it's formed, but still think it's beautiful and be in awe. Like, I, 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 I'm in awe of nature and wonderment of the universe without the superstition part. And, and then I find moral guidance through having community and people that I actually bounce my thoughts off of and make sure that like, it comes to, you come to like a, a place where it balances out and you figure out how you should treat people. Um, if you're raised in a society where you're only told how to treat people based on what some dude thousands of years ago wrote down, like I don't think you're probably going to get to know your full self. And it's going to be confusing and you feel like you're a sinner and all these things. So I, I think we should get away from that guilt-based, guilt-based stuff, but not lose the wonder and uh, excitement about learning. and uh, Where the edge of our knowledge is, don't just fill in the rest of it with with a superstitious thing and say forget about it like I, that's what I like about the idea of science is like I get to the edge of my knowledge and then I I get to start playing and testing things to see if I can go further not just giving up to the the uh, the unanswerable things like they're gonna be permanent so I, I think we're gonna keep keep evolving our knowledge is gonna keep changing I don't know if we'll ever get away from religion, but I hope as a big organizational thing, I hope that really peters out and goes away. <laughs> I, hope, I hope we replace it with community-based stuff. So, and I, I, think, uh, I think it's important we have places like uh, where we have common things, like farm around food, organize around food. That's a secular uh, meeting space. Yeah, Everybody yeah. needs food. Um, organize around water. That's a secular meeting space. So I, I think we can all, and then every religion probably talks in their books about honoring those things right. and taking care of them. So I actually would like to take, I'd take the language of, of most of the religions and not turn it on them, but, but ask them to look in a mirror and say, are you doing that? Are you doing that? And if, if they say no, they need to think about what they really believe. And I think most of them say they should be good stewards and <laughs> responsible for the things that they, uh, around them. So I, I don't know. I'd, I'd hope to implore that more, get people to use it. But I don't know. I, I don't like the uh, organizi- organizing bodies of the of the old church model. It's really it's really uh, separating us instead of bringing us together. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the closest thing we, uh, I mean, sports sort of do it. You can argue, um, and that's you know, I, I maybe that's something that. People can, can come together on a little bit. But then more, we divide you know. into little groups too. We do. We end up grinding it just into different <laughs> yeah. different groups.
when you like hate the Lakers and I hate the Blazers and you know, that's how right. it goes or whatever. So it's, it, it's, it's got, I think we need to find more unifying ways to come together on that, like real deep common things. And in the old days, there were like, in some of these old writings, they were there for a reason. Like you organized around not eating certain animals because like you didn't have refrigeration. You got worms and you ate pork and you died. So like you had rules to keep your community alive. Well, as times change, you had a refrigerator, you, you know, you had salt, <laughs> like you figured these things out, like, right. um, so Ferments. we should, yeah, we should be, uh, we should be evolving with what we actually, you know, understand at the time and changing and then thinking about the rules changing too. And those stagnant rules of yesteryear have gotten a lot of people in trouble and a lot of people still committing suicide today because of, uh, they, they're actually a gay and they can't cope with it because they believe they're going to burn in hell from what their parents told them their whole life. So it's, it's important that we actually almost intervene in this and not just be like atheists about it, but be like members of our community stand up and say, hey, we don't all have to believe that stuff. And if it's hurting you, come to me. We're cool. We can hang. Like, I, I think it's, it's good to create spaces that people feel safe and not judged. And, and yeah. so I, I try to do that. And the newer age religions don't tend to judge so much. So I, have a hard, I don't have as hard a time with most of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think there's there's some kind of notion that 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 doing that is somehow sentimental or like irrational. But no, it's just human. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, no, I think I think I think that those things will 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 grow. Um, uh, and yeah, no, it's. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is it is something you can kind of cling I mean cling is this word I mean Obama had that thing about clinging to guns and religions but it's something that you can <laughs> grasp even uh, in your darkest times is like feeling a part of something yeah. you know larger um, and, you know and uh, you know these smaller communities that uh, and bringing it back to politics um, you know uh, these smaller communities have come together and done, um, you know, done positive things. And, you know, that should be uh, celebrated enough and not, I mean, it's tempting because of the amount of media that's sent out, you know, about national politics mm -hmm. that you would just kind of, well, who really gives a shit about the Portland whatever? Because, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it's important to celebrate small successes. Tim, Tim Ferriss is really big mm -hmm. on that. Um, yeah. You know, just... Uh, I mean, because that, that's that's emotionally sustaining too. To well, and it may save your community from having bad water. It may save right. your next generation from drinking lead or dioxin. So it really does matter to people everywhere that we do these things locally. And it's going to add up. And it's not just a cliched thing. I believe. I know. I see it. When the communities that are engaged are much healthier, um, much more sustainable. Uh, places like Portland, Oregon. I, I talk about it a lot because I lived there for many years. They just did a, a big uh, project up there where they shifted all the water that used to run, the rain runoff that used to run across the, the pavement and go into the river and it was ruining the Willamette River and within a few years of it being put in, this new system that rerouted that and processed that water, fish are back, um, salmon are back. They thought it may be 25 years but it was like two years or three years where they were already returning. So I think it does matter locally a lot, and that we they we tend to be told to focus on national elections because they want us not to pay attention to local stuff. They want us to miss the local levies, the local uh, meetings that take place about where they're going to go and change things around you. They they want you to not pay attention to that because they want you to only pay attention to the national politics, which you can barely affect, 
and which the national election is only one. There's only one national election. It's called the presidency. The rest are local. So we only do one election every four years. One dude or one woman gets to be the president. The rest of the elections are either your state, your local area, your Congress. So most of our politics is local, and we're ignoring it. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, I, that, that was one excuse that I heard for people not voting is that, okay, they don't like Trump or Clinton. Yeah. But, you know, the, I had to, when I looked at the California ballot, I mean, I consider myself, I don't know, fairly well informed, I guess. I, I'm, you know, but I, I had to do a lot of research on mm -hmm. all of the ballot measures on the California ballot. There's all these local races. Like it's, it's, you know, when you look at it just visually, there's one box for Trump and Clinton. Yep. And then there's a gigantic yep. columns and columns of measures of, you know, on judges and prostitutes. And, yeah. you know, I don't think prostitutes was on this one, but porn <laughs> was on it. I mean, there's lots yeah. of uh, yeah. really important stuff, you know. So um, I, I think that totally. Paying for schools, paying for fire departments. All real, real local stuff. And stuff that will save people's lives where yeah. you live. Forget the president at that moment. If you don't want to vote for president, don't. Vote for all that other stuff. Like, If you really want, have to leave it blank, do it, but vote for all the other stuff. Yeah, it's, we've really been disempowered there. We don't think of this stuff. And they are slowly but surely chipping away all the rights we fought for for a long time by getting us to become apathetic about that, have apathy about these things. So I think, I think almost all politics are local. And you say it there, the only one box every four years of all the elections has that one national thing on it. No other time do you vote in national election. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting we put so much stock in it. It's not just interesting. It's because the media gets to make a trillion dollars on advertising every four years in these horse races they call elections. Um, when if we, if we would just focus on our local politics, our state houses, like for real, it's not, doesn't, you don't need a billion dollars to run for state office. You may just need a, a hardcore volunteer crew. Really, you can win in a you can win in a lot of communities with this, and then it can matter. Are you going to run? I, I think I think I would. Yeah, I would run for for political office. Yes, it, it would have to be in the wave that is uh, going to come fighting against this this Trump era. I hope. I, I hope in the next four years we really organize, and then I would You'd be. You have to cut your hair. <laughs> Um, yeah, probably. I probably would. Depending I, where you're at. No, I I think. Uh, <laughs> I think I hate personality politics, and I think that it, it's more about the organizing body. And if there was organizing happening for real, and people are ready, and I think I've been trying to preach permapolitics for a couple of years, we organize around things like food and local, local banking and like local watershed maintenance and local forestry, and we get those things to come together, and we get local candidates that, that push those agendas. And then in a few years, we get governors that, that that would uh, governor of Oregon or Washington or California that would that would direct a couple of tax dollars towards permaculture, food forest designs, and fix things in our areas. I think that's not unrealistic in local elections. So uh, yeah, if, if permaculturists rally enough uh, up there, if, if progressives get busy, if the true anarchists want to come out and, like, and get something going, uh, I would go run for office in a place like the, the Pacific Northwest, yes. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are a lot of people are like me, like they're, they're waiting to be, for this to matter. And I think the Trump era is going to make us matter. The de-Trump era, trumped out with a gangster twist. <laughs> it's, it's coming, a time of like really interesting political fights. Like the, the left is not going to give up right now. There are strong people in our Senate and our Congress. Um, we have amazing Congress people. 
Elizabeth you Warren. Her, you know, people like her, but a lot more people that you don't hear about that are that are gonna that are gonna stand in the way of a lot of this stuff. That are gonna be vocal from day one. Women in politics are about to be uh, challenged a lot. Um, I can't believe people still let Trump win after he said what he said about women repeatedly. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, he, he lost the popular vote. More people voted against him than voted for him. More people voted for. I think fifty-one percent of what was it? White women voted for him. Yeah, now. I don't know how. Well, well you know what they 51 say. Fifty-one percent of the white women that voted, which is like the, half of them. The theory that I heard about that was that, well, <laughs> we think of misogyny as mostly coming from men. But the, yeah. I'm just saying one That's opinion true. I read was that, <laughs> you know, there's a, it's sort of a, I guess it ends up being a kind of self-hatred thing where yeah. you'd rather vote, you think so little of your own gender, I guess, or whatever. I don't know. Or you don't want to be put in a box at all and it bothers you. The media, the way they spun They're it, pandering to they you. pandered to that. Yeah. Like, hey, don't let them tell you that because I'm a misogynist, I'm, I'm anti-woman. But... Right. But uh, I mean, I think he said he would make out with his own daughter at one point. Like he's he's talking. Oh well, I don't. Think, <laughs> these no. things are seriously like uh, yeah. if if America still put in there. You know what foreigners think of us? Like they hear this stuff and they thought there's absolutely no way this is real. What's happening? Like, and I agree, except that I I do I do remember Red State America and they were raring for a fight, and they think Trump was their man. They think he's the one that was going to fight the billionaires. He talked that talk. So they overlooked his personality quirks and flaws, and and uh, we're we're gonna see. And if he's really starts to be effective in any way that they thought he would be, the Republicans will impeach him. So I think I think uh, I think he could have a really short presidency if he actually tries to ever implement anything that the kind of on the ground red state American voted for him and what they thought he was. Yeah, it seems uh, like he's gonna just play ball and. Well, I don't know who knew this. What the hell? Hey, if he talks the wrong shit one day, he's he's in trouble. Like that's the, the, the this is a like the other day he talked shit about Northrop Grumman, and within a few minutes their stocks were crashing. He said he's going to cancel an airline or contract with them and go with Boeing. Just tweeting these things, and he kills and he kills a so he kills a company. He's so careful. Not that I don't think these companies should be killed. By the way, but not like this is sloppy. Not it's a, it's Trump's it's, tweets aren't the way you want to do No, that. no, I, I think it's it's actually well part of the reason I'm excited about these times is because those kind of things are going to show the weakness of our society. We're actually live in a fiat society if, if it's what we believe. And this guy, when he speaks, he changes like things. His beliefs change things. Yeah, no, the, but the president <laughs> says that stocks rise and fall on it. Yeah, it's so. just it's just an opinion. It's a it's a tweet. It's a <laughs> series of ones and zeros no, on Twitter's server somewhere. But when you have control over the the budget office and you can sign deals, like he he scares people into changing their behavior long term. And um, I'm hoping that the erratic, the, erratic uh, the markets are going to go through the roof for a while because of you know deregulation potential and stuff. But but I, I'm excited for the pullback on that, the pushback. We're gonna we're gonna see activism hit a whole new stride. And we've got the internet, and we've been practicing organizing too. We've been in the trenches learning how to do the regenerative economy. Um, Bush sent people like me into a tailspin and we tried to find our footings and doing our footing doing something like I did here with farms or new ways of owning and running businesses. Um, yeah, cutting our teeth on real political governance issues, getting out and, and, and doing water activism and making a difference, putting in water systems with communities. These things are, are how we add up little victories into into having like governance over our communities. So I, I, I'm excited for what what it's bringing already. People are already coming to me with an energy that says, 
I don't believe in the top-down approach anymore. What should I do? Um, and I think that's healthy. I think it's great when people are ready to, to, to push themselves. Our kids need us to push them above this rising tide. <laughs> they need us to hold them up and so they have a chance. And um, things like the environment, if our president really doesn't believe that we're, you know, the pollution exists or something, um, we're going to have to push back against that if we want our children to have clean water, air, uh, soil, topsoil that works. We, we don't have much of a choice. We don't get to give up right now. Um, this is actually when we need to build our best team and put them on the court. Amen. Amen, brother.